0: This week, Endo and Altera file Chapter 11. Citibank sues Revlon in connection with $900 million mistaken wire transfer. Ryoc updates Geogroup pro forma capital structure. Hello and welcome to the REARC podcast, where you bring the latest developments in high yield distressed debt and bankruptcy. I'm David Zubkis. For this week's Deep Dive, we offer a replay of our July webinar where the Rearg team discusses Puerto Rico's two largest remaining debt restructurings, Puerto Rico Highways and Transportation Authority and Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, and walks through the post-restructuring challenges the Commonwealth faces as well as critical milestones of 2022 and beyond. REARC would also like to remind subscribers to register for our upcoming August 25th webinar, Winter came for COVID era darlings, distress in crypto and tech, where REORC's Harvard Jang will moderate a discussion of the current state of distress in crypto and tech, as well as the circumstances that led to the current state of affairs and what the future may hold. It's Friday, August 19th. Endo International, a Dublin-based pharmaceutical manufacturer with 8.1 billion in total funded debt, filed for Chapter 11 on Tuesday with a restructuring support agreement supported by an ad hoc group of first scene lenders and noteholders, represented by Gibson Dunn Evercore. The RSA contemplates a Section 363 sale process for substantially all the debtor's assets, with a six billion dollar stalking horse credit bid from the first scene group plus funding for a post-sale wind down and assumption of certain liabilities. CFO Mark Bradley in his first day declaration attributed the filing to worse than expected sales of key drugs in the first half of 2022 and the expense of settling and defending opioid litigation, among other things. Bradley pointed to a precipitous drop in sales of VasoStrick, which accounted for approximately 30% of the company's 2021 revenue, and attributes the rapid decline to an August 2021 ruling by U.S. District Judge Colm Connolly, concluding that Eagle Pharmaceutical's proposed generic VasoStrick competitor did not infringe on the debtor's patents. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit affirmed the ruling on appeal on Thursday, just hours before Endo's first day hearing. According to the RSA, as the petition date, the consenting first lien creditor group holds approximately 54.6% of the aggregate outstanding principal amount of senior term loans and first lien notes, including approximately 73.6% of the term loans and approximately 47.83% of the aggregate outstanding principal amount of first lien notes. The debtors say the company received bids from the Ad Hoc First Scene Group and the Ad Hoc Second lien Unsecured Notes Crossover Holder Group, represented by Paul Weiss and Perella Weinberg Partners, and chose to pursue a 363 sale after talks with the Crossover Group failed to lead to a planned pathway. The debtors ultimately chose the First Scene Group's purchase bid. Both ad hoc groups agreed, after intensive negotiations, to allow the debtors to use cash collateral to fund the Chapter 11. The debtors' cash collateral budget assumes $1.03 billion of cash as of Monday, August 19th. The first lien group acquisition entity would distribute 100% of its common stock and new first lien take-back paper to first lien lenders and note holders subject to dilution by a 5% reorganized equity management incentive plan and a potential rights offering by the acquisition entity. The acquisition entity would also be permitted to raise additional financing in the form of a first-out new money tranche of first lien debt. The rights offering and first-out financing would be offered on a pro-rata basis to the consenting first lien creditors party of the RSA as of its original execution date. The acquisition entity would be subject to a leverage cap of no greater than 4.5x. The RSA also provides for the creation of three voluntary opioid settlement trusts funded with up to $550 million in payments by the acquisition entity, $450 million in payments over 10 years for governmental opioid claimants, $85 million for private opioid claimants, and $15 million for tribal opioid claimants. According to the debtors, 34 states and District of Columbia have agreed to the governmental opioid trust settlement. The proposed settlement allows for prepayment of the total contributions at a discount. At Thursday's first-day hearing, Judge James Garrity granted the debtors requested relief on a largely uncontested basis. The potential fault lines opened between the debtors and two groups left out of their proposed 363 credit bid sale to 1st lien creditors, the ad hoc crossholder group and the ad hoc unsecured noteholder group represented by Whiting Case, the latter of which opposed the debtors' cash collateral motion. Counselor of both parties indicated that recent financial results understate the debtors' enterprise value as represented by the radical swings in the trading prices of the first and second lien notes this year. On August 12, Citibank, as administrative agent for the Revlon debtors' 2016 term loans, filed an adversary complaint seeking to end any doubt as to its subrogation rights and resulting secured claims against the debtors arising from Citibank's mistaken payment of approximately $900 million to the 2016 term lenders in August 2020. The complaint seeks a definitive declaratory judgment that Citibank is equitably subrogated to the rights of the lenders that refused to return the mistaken payments and retained about $500 million of Citibank's funds. Citibank alleges that Revlon acknowledges status as subrogate until the days leading up to the Chapter 11 filings when the company changes position, thus compelling Citibank to file the complaint. The complaint also seeks an order holding that Revlon was unjustly enriched by having the non-returning lender's debt obligations discharged by Citibank's mistaken payment and directing Revlon to repay Citibank for such obligations. Citibank contends that its equitable subrogation rights were clearly established under the District Court's February 2021 decision and the related mistaken payment litigation. In holding that the non-returning lenders were entitled to keep the payments under the so-called discharge for value rule, Citibank says the District Court specifically found that Citibank's payment satisfied the debt of another party, the Revlon Group. The Revlon Group's debt owing to the non-returning lenders was completely discharged by such payment, and the payment from Citibank's own funds was the result of a mistake. Although Citibank has appealed the decision to the Second Circuit, the complaint maintains that Citibank is the lender of record under the term loan credit agreement. The complaint alleges that shortly after the District Court's decision in February 2021, Citibank notified Revlon of Citibank's status as subrogee, informing the company in no uncertain terms that in light of the decision, cities shall be subrogated to all rights, interests, and remedies, including but not limited to the rights of an assignee of the non-returning lenders in respect to the credit agreement and the loans they are under as of and from August 11, 2020, and shall be the lender of record in respect of such loans. In the days leading up to the Chapter 11 filing, Citibank says that it became aware for the first time that there was going to be challenges to its subrogation rights when Revlon and certain other creditors refused to include customary and standard stipulations and DIP documents regarding the validity of Citibank's claims and liens. This marked the first time that Citibank faced any dispute to its asserted subrogation rights, according to the complaint. Altera Infrastructure LP, formerly known as TK Offshore, a UK-based international oil and gas and midstream services provider, filed Chapter 11 petitions on Friday, August 12th, entering the process with an RSA supported by creditors holding 71% of the debtor's funded debt obligations, including Brookfield and a majority of the pre Opco secured parties. The DIP financing is a $50 million new money DIP facility provided by Brookfield, Altera's sponsor and holder of the vast majority of the debtor's equity. The debtors say they expect to receive additional commitments from creditors to bring aggregate consent up to 80% of the debtor's funded debt obligations. Debtors note that they remain in discussions with an ad hoc group of holders of 70% parent unsecured TopCo note holders represented by Wachtell, whose proposal to participate in the proposed facility was determined to be non-actionable by the debtors. CFO Jan Rune Steinsland attributes the filing to decaying revenue as a result of contract expirations and the aging of its fleet, exacerbated by significant payment obligations due under the various interest rate swap agreements. Altair's ability to capture the upside presented by recent increases in energy prices is constrained by the terms of its existing contracts and the capital expenditures required to recontract its most significant assets, with currently generated cash flows insufficient to support the funded debt obligations. Debtors were able to obtain the requested first-day relief, including interim DIP approval at a contested hearing on Monday. The contested portion of the hearing focused on the TopCo ad hoc group's objection to interim DIP approval, which focused on the proposed scheduling of the final DIP hearing 45 days after the petition date and the propriety of releases granted to Brookfield upon DIP approval. The hoc Group says that an investigation is needed to evaluate a 2021 exchange offer under which Brookfield exchanged its former $411 million position in unsecured notes at Altera Parent Topco for secured pick notes and an equal aggregate principal amount due 2026 at Intermediate Co. and contested the accelerated final dip approval which would result in the release of claims against Brookfield. Judge Isger ultimately scheduled an evidentiary hearing for September 8th to consider the adequacy of Altera as a pre-petition investigation. Judge Isger indicated that after hearing, he would schedule the final DIP hearing, which would be paired with a ninety-nineteen motion to consider approval of the releases granted to Brookfield in connection with final DIP approval. Pursuant to the RSA, Brookfield would equitize all outstanding intermediate co-claims comprising the $737 million of 11.5% pick notes due 2026 and $32 million RCF due 2022 in return for 100% of the common equity in the reorganized Altera parent before dilution. The RSA also provides for potential equitization of the diff facility unless it is repaid through an equity offering. The 8.5% senior notes due 2023 would be entitled to their pro rata share of new warrants valued up to 7.6% of Altera's reorganized equity, subject to dilution from a MIP. In addition to equitization of the intermediate co-obligations, the restructuring would also equitize the Altera parent Topco unsecured notes, resulting in a total equitization of approximately $1 billion of junior debt obligations. The parent's preferred and common equity would be eliminated. They finally noted that the approximately $2.1 billion of debt obligations of the non-debtor sh- shuttle tankers business and FPSO joint ventures would ride through the bankruptcy unaffected. Rurig this week updated the pro forma capital structure for GEO Group based on the reported outcome of the company's exchange offer and new guidance from the private prison operator. The company said that 51.5% and 89.7% of 2023 and 2024 notes have been tendered for exchange, respectively. Based on the guidance and Rurig estimates, GeoGroup's LTM Pro forma total recourse leverage falls to 4.6x versus June 30 total leverage of 5.2x. Pro forma cash interest increases $58 million per annum from $137 million to $195 million, resulting in forma levered free cash flow of $154 million. Proforma for the transaction's liquidity falls to $375 million from $654 million as of June 30th. To access REORG's in-depth coverage of GeoGroup, please reach out to our REORG representative. Top of stories this week included... Bosch Health Capital Structure, spinoff questions answered. New coverage on Equitrans Midstream Champion X. Updated analysis of Party City Proforma for July ABL upsize. Proposed intercompany loan now available. Cineworld considers Chapter 11 filing amid potential liquidity crunch. SAS debtors obtain $700 million dip financing commitment from Apollo Global Management. Regulator directs Prepa to move toward P3 for new 300 megawatt power plant. And now here's Kathy from Los Angeles with the week ahead
1: hello this is Kathy ta and here's the week ahead on Tuesday August 23rd Texas two-step debtor LTL management will ask the bankruptcy court to stop what it says are the rogue states of New Mexico and Mississippi from continuing with consumer protection lawsuits against parent Johnson and Johnson the debtors warned that without relief their ongoing mediation with an ad hoc group of over 40 states to negotiate a global resolution of talk claims would be threatened there are multiple hearings on Wednesday August 24th first the white and case represented ad hoc group of non shareholders will press for the appointment of an official equity committee in Revlon. The group says all market indications show that the company is not hopelessly insolvent, but rather has significant equity value. The Voyager Digital Debtors will be in court on Wednesday to seek a stay of a Canadian securities law class action suit against the debtor and certain current and former directors. The debtors say the stay is needed to protect their restructuring efforts. The SunGuard Availability Services Debtors will also be in court on Wednesday to get approval of a $52 million cash sale of the majority of its U.S. co-location network and workplace services assets to successful bidder 365SG operating company. At the same time, the debtors will ask for conditional disclosure statement approval for their dual sale and equitization toggle plan, the debtors are continuing to evaluate additional sales of their remaining assets. Moving to Friday, August 26, oral arguments are slated in the expedited appeals of the LADAM Airlines plan confirmation before the district court. The Arnold and Porter represented ad hoc group of unsecured claimants maintains that the plan violates fundamental bankruptcy principles of equal treatment and good faith and is the product of vote buying. While TLA claimants will continue their case for payment of post-petition interest at the contract rate, given that the plan classifies their claims as unimpaired and fully reinstates equity. Earnings will be released on August 24th by Lynette Company and on August 25th by Peloton. That's it for me from Los Angeles on this Friday, August 19th. Fun fact, today was the day back in 1848 that gold was discovered in California, the year Mexico ceded the territory to the United States under the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, ending the Mexican-American War. The newfound discovery was first reported by New York City newspaper, the New York Herald. Now back to you in New York.
0: And next up, for this week's Deep Dive, we offer a replay of our July webinar where the REARC team discusses Puerto Rico's two largest remaining debt restructurings, Puerto Rico Highways and Transportation Authority and Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, and walks through post-restructuring challenges the Commonwealth faces as well as critical milestones in 2022 and beyond.
2: Today, we'll discuss Puerto Rico's ongoing restructuring efforts, touching upon the developments over the past year or so, and looking forward to what's to come. I'm Alex Brosman, Senior Legal Analyst for the America's Core Credit and Municipal Teams at REORG. And joining me on today's webinar are my Puerto Rico based coverage teammates, Senior Reporters John Marino and Kevin Mead. Please note that if you'd like to access this webinar again, a replay will be available on the REORG webinar and podcast page within two business days for REORG subscribers. We will answer questions at the end, so please feel free to submit your questions at any time using the Q&A widget located at the bottom of your screen. Also, we're pleased to bring you this webinar in a slide-free format and would love to hear your thoughts on it. Okay, let's get started. Before we jump into a full discussion, let's take a look back at some of the highlights since our last webinar and where things stand now. Of course, the the biggest news and most historical development to date is the Commonwealth's emergence from bankruptcy. After nearly four stunningly eventful years, things finally came together with Judge Laura Taylor Swain confirming a plan of adjustment for the Commonwealth, ERS, and PBA debtors, which then emerged from Title III on March fifteenth. Although this is long uh, a long overdue process, most remarkably, plan confirmation was almost entirely uncontested. In a case that's been Riddled with infighting and stymied by hurricanes, earthquakes, and a global pandemic, the key case parties emerged from months-long mediation with a deal that settled virtually all litigation, contemplated qualifying modifications under Title VI of PROMESA for two credits, PRIFA and the CCDA, and even settled issues among parties in the Highways and Transportation Authorities, or HTA case. In the end, there was really only one group of objectors that remained parties asserting claims for constitutional takings. These objectors actually ultimately prevailed and Judge Swain insisted that she would not confirm a plan that impaired these claims and treated them as general and secured. The Oversight Board conceded this point, altering the plan to unimpair the takings claims and pay them in cash in full. After confirmation, the Oversight Board appealed Judge Swain's confirmation order solely with respect to this ruling. And just a few weeks ago, the Court of Appeals affirmed to Judge Swain. Practically speaking, the oversight board had accounted for this outcome and ensured that the plan remained feasible with an additional 300 million to $400 million or so to pay out. Judge Swain also disposed of the Teachers Association appeal, which challenged uh, the plan on on various grounds. Most importantly, um, whether the plan could do away with the pension cuts for retirees while teachers could have their benefits frozen and their cost of living adjustments, or COLAs, cut. The removal of the pension cuts part of a broader deal struck with the Commonwealth. On appeal, the appellate court saw no problem with this construct and determined that it was permissible under the enabling laws and permissive. Right now, the First Circuit has not ruled on the two remaining appeals, which were much more party specific. Uh, whether, and whether the Oversight Board pursues any additional challenges to their appeal, um, for instance, by seeking uh, rehearing in Bonk, remains to be seen. So pivoting away from the Commonwealth, I'm going to give a quick summary of where things stand in other cases broadly now. To begin with, I'll note that the HTA plan of adjustment is headed imminently towards confirmation in August, with only two objections as of this morning, um, one from maturity and one from a group of former HTA employees that also objected to the disclosure disclosure statement, excuse me. Because the plan support agreement and other settlements were, were struck with key case parties in the course of mediation and Commonwealth confirmation, this confirmation process has been just about hassle-free, so much so that Judge Sweeney actually scheduled the confirmation hearing to run in conjunction with the next omnibus hearing in the cases. As we will discuss further shortly, uh, PREPA is on the brink of concluding mediation led by Judge Shelley Chapman, who just this morning threw a wrench in my webinar planning and submitted a motion seeking an extension of the August 1st mediation termination date, uh, the third request so far. The mediation team has asked for a shorter extension this time, only to August 15th, Along with those discussions, further extend the period through September 9th without additional court approval. This extension will be based on the mediation team's assessment of the material progress of the mediation, um, which is how the mediation team phrased it. And um, Judge Swain shortly after set a briefing schedule on the request, and we'll see if the court grants the motion after that. Whether this is a sign of progress or not, of course, remains to be seen. The Oversight Board also. Uh, is required to submit its uh, so-called path forward for PREPA by August 1st, meaning that it must file a plan, term sheet, or litigation schedule by the deadline, or otherwise submit a pleading laying out why the Title III case should not be dismissed. However, the Board has previously followed mediation team extension requests with its own request to extend the path forward date. Finally. Two Title VI qualifying modifications remain in the works for PRIDCO and the PFC. So there's a quick and dirty rundown from me, and um, now we can cover the main act. Oh, and as one point of distinction between the Commonwealth Plan and HTA, it's it's worth noting that the HTA Plan does not require bond-enabling legislation, which bogged down confirmation of the Commonwealth (laughs) Plan because of an impasse between the government and Oversight Board on pension cuts. This may also be the case for PREPA because the Oversight Board and the Commonwealth have, since said, have said since the PREPA RSA was terminated this spring that new legislation would not be required for a PREPA plan. Okay, enough for me. Let's jump right in with the biggest question mark for those of us that don't have a seat at the mediation table. What's gonna happen? John, can you get us started?
3: Sure, Alex, thanks. Uh, we'll see if the mediation extension request leads to a, a new agreement. Uh, PREPA was the first of the Puerto Rico credits to be targeted for restructuring, but has been extremely difficult to get a PREPA deal across the finish line. Three restructuring proposals uh, have unraveled prior to execution uh, until now. The original security structure called for a fluctuating transition charge to ensure full debt service coverage while the latest version captives transition charge. Given the legislature's failure to approve legislation required to execute the RSA, a new PREPA agreement will likely not employ that sec- securitization mechanism at all. The current PREPA restructuring effort is taking place in an environment of increasing energy prices and growing economic concerns, which will only add to the challenges of reaching a new PREPA agreement. There is intense concern locally with holding down energy prices, which have risen substantially in recent months. The recently approved PREPA fiscal plan forecasts declining electricity sales over the next 30 years. And this stemmed from population loss, a drop in economic activity and co- customers adopting um, renewable energy uh, Strategies in residences and businesses. Delays in adopting renewable power technologies, particularly solar, and in putting Prepa's existing legacy generation assets under private management is also adding to the pressure. Beyond its substantial debt to creditors, Prepa also faces deep pension liabilities with its system headed for insolvency by October 2023 unless reforms are enacted. Uh, When PREPA filed Title III in 2017, it listed about $9 billion in financial debt obligations and an unfunded pension liability of $3.6 billion. While substantial pension reforms were enacted pre-permissive for most Commonwealth employees, PREPA employee pension benefits have remained largely unscathed through Puerto Rico's lengthy debt restructuring process. While there's a lot to address in the restructuring, a very big plus is the more than $11 billion in available federal funding to reconstruct and improve the electric system with a bulk allocated to the energy grid. Such funding was not available when the initial efforts to restructure PREPA's debt were being undertaken. So that should be a help, a big help. While the Commonwealth terminated the PREPA RSA, the oversight Board has supported that decision. Chairman Skeel recently said that the deal no longer made economic sense after the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, So given the difficulty of the PREPA debt restructuring, the move to extend the current mediation effort is not surprising.
2: So one topic that's come up in the mediation party filings and other public discussions is the lien challenge litigation. Um, In its most simple form, the the litigation concerns the validity of the PREPA bondholders' liens and security interests the PREPA bondholders insist that their liens are valid and perfected and that they would prevail on a challenge. While Chairman David Skeel recently said that if the bondholders do have a valid lien, it is um, only on amounts that have been transferred into a bond trust, which he said is, um, quote, a very small amount. He said the oversight board doesn't believe that the bondholders have a lien on on, PREPA's ability to generate future revenue either. The court would move forward with the lien challenge litigation brought by the Oversight Board or NAFAAF uh, that calls the bondholders' security interests into question, as well as the UCC's complaint challenging the liens if mediation weren't successful or if the parties were to agree to litigate this dispute as part of a broader agreement. Um, at the same time, PREPA bondholders have said that they would move to dismiss PREPA um, and its Title Three case, and uh, seek to appoint a receiver to enforce remedies under the bond documents if mediation fails. Where do you see this heading, John? Do you think we'll uh, emerge from mediation of the deal, or we're going to have some litigation going on?
3: Well, the mediation extension request could be a sign of movement towards a deal of past histories in these cases as any guide. However, it would also not be surprising to see a negotiated sell it settlement develop only after a move towards litigation. But that's just one of a number of potential outcomes. Um, Both the Commonwealth and PREPA creditors have given indications that they want improved terms under a new PREPA restructuring agreement. And uh, oversight board member Justin Peterson has been a vocal proponent of uh, PREPA bondholders. In recent court filings, PREPA bondholders have warned that any litigation challenging their liens on PREPA revenue would be a lengthy proposition and that they would ultimately prevail in demonstrating they have valid and perfected liens. The bondholders also say that PREPA can afford the rates necessary to pay bondholder claims in full and absent a settlement is required to do so under bankruptcy code section 1129B. However, there is broad support locally for deep debt restructuring at PREPA given the importance of the electric utility to the economy and opponents of the recently terminated RSA include prominent business organizations across Puerto Rico. Many of the critics believe the PREPA bondholder recoveries under the previous RSA were simply too rich and would be paid at the expense of PREPA clients shouldering higher energy rates.
2: All right, so putting PREPA aside for a bit, the Commonwealth has finally emerged from bankruptcy and you know, certainly an accomplishment but the hard work's not over. What needs to be done to like really get Puerto Rico back on track? Where do we go from here?
3: Uh, I think there's a, like room for substantial debate on what's most vital to get the Commonwealth back on a sustainable economic and fiscal path. But it's pretty clear that while Puerto Rico has made some progress on better aligning its uh, spending and income under the Oversight Board's supervision. It is lagging behind on a series of broader fiscal adjustments and structural reforms outlined in its certified fiscal plans that are expected to foster economic growth and and increase government revenue by about $30 billion over the next 30 years. Uh, Commonwealth officials have rightly protested on occasion against oversight board encroachments in public policy areas. But progress on even generally agreed upon reforms has been slower than expected. And in some cases held back by apparent resistance from Commonwealth officials. This involves everything from energy to ease of business reforms where only modest improvements have been made. Tax filing requirements for businesses have actually become more burdensome in recent years. And the Commonwealth just approved legislation that rolled back aspects of a 2017 labor reform that the oversight board had deemed too timid to really impact job creation in the first place. If uh, Puerto Rican officials had implemented their own energy policy recommendations over the last 20 years, PrEPA residential rates should not have surpassed 30 cents per kilowatt hour as they did this month. But they failed repeatedly to execute on plans to convert its oil, PrEPAS oil fire plants to natural gas, and to adopt utility scale renewable power generation. Both these efforts were aimed at lowering rates and complying with stringent um, federal air emission standards. So the current effort under the oversight board to adopt renewable generation is also substantially behind schedule, as is the other key aspect of energy reform, which is putting PREPA generation assets under private management. So executing on the most broadly agreed upon reforms only, just just those that everybody agree on, is really essential for getting the the Commonwealth back on a sustainable track, I think.
4: Yeah, I mean, even Luma Energy's 15-year operation and maintenance agreement to run PREPA's transmission and distribution system hasn't been fully implemented yet, despite the transfer of control of the grid and and the customer-facing operations to Luma back in June 2021. Luma is still operating under an 18-month supplemental agreement pending... PREPA's exit from Title III bankruptcy. And the supplemental agreement and the 15-year O&M agreement will terminate if the full service commencement date, which is the effective date of a Title III plan of adjustment for PREPA, has not occurred within 18 months of the June 1st, 2021 supplemental agreement effective date. So if the if, if the December 31 termination date is triggered, Luma would be entitled to a $115 million termination fee. However, uh, you know, the supplemental can be extended and Luma CEO Wayne Stensby has told Reorg that the parties could extend or make alternate arrangements if, quote, obvious progress, end quote, is being made toward Prepa's emergence for bankruptcy. Luma is also pushing for the completion of the legacy uh, generation handover.
2: So the oversight board has a um, broad reach in what they're um, helping to facilitate as far as uh, getting um, the Commonwealth back on their feet and, and moving forward. But uh, what's one place over that the oversight, sorry, that the oversight board could actually hinder the government's efforts?
3: I think um, one of the biggest constraints on Commonwealth power by the oversight board is its tax neutrality requirement for legislation, and uh, Commonwealth officials complain that can create obstacles for economic development and tax initiatives that may be positive, but not immediately revenue neutral. Um, A tax reform committee created by Pierre Luisi delivered proposed tax reform recommendations this year, but the governor has yet to propose any specific reform. He's opted instead to ensure that an Act 154 tax substitute bill cleared the capital. Um, The legislature has made some proposals, tax proposals that could factor into a reform. And the governor is expected to make a broader tax reform proposal in the coming months. So, if the administration and legislature could hash out a consensual tax reform, that could be a significant development. Uh, the, the Commonwealth Tax Code has been revised repeatedly by successive administrations, but a substantive overhaul has really not taken place for more than 20 years. The oversight board supports a broad tax reform that lowers statutory marginal tax rates and broadens the tax base by slashing exemptions, deductions, credits, and incentives. The board believes such a reform would simplify the tax filing process and improve the business environment, delivering long-term growth benefits. Um, In fact, the, 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 the certified fiscal plan estimates that the Commonwealth's 30-year projected surplus could increase by 11 billion and if a tax reform of this nature was implemented by uh, fiscal 2031.
2: So the Oversight Board hasn't had an executive director in place since Natalie Juresco's departure um, in the spring. Has this had a negative impact on um, the path forward for uh, Puerto Rico?
4: I can take that um, Natalie dress you know she left the post in April she played a material role in uh, the Commonwealth plan mediation process so her absence from the prep mediation you know could be having an impact there it did take the board around seven months to name her in the first place with members saying since since that she uh, set a high bar for the job uh, the oversight board chairman Skeel said recently that the search continues to find a replacement as soon as possible In the meantime, he touted the ongoing work of staff to meet the Oversight Board's mission and disagreed with legislative leaders' contention that Juresco's absence complicated the latest budget process. So looking forward, uh, the Oversight Board's second ever executive director will likely be in a position to dedicate the bulk of their energy to fiscal and structural reform issues, given the progress toward resolving Puerto Rico's debt restructuring. So you're
2: saying, That it's less about that they're being that it, that they're slow to find someone for the role, and then more about the fact that it's difficult to find someone that will fit the bill.
4: Yeah, I mean, what we've heard is they have interviewed several strong candidates, but as recently as 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 earlier early this month, had not identified the one. Um, so the search continues.
2: Okay, um, well, in the same vein, one one of the big questions um, I have is. When can the Oversight Board itself disband, you know, mission accomplished? Can you tell me a little bit more about what the requirements for that are?
4: Yeah, they're in, in permissive section 20, 209, which uh, first requires the Commonwealth to post four consecutive balanced budgets and then regain access to the capital markets at reasonable rates. Those are the two conditions stated in the, in the federal law. Um, It is the oversight board position now that the fiscal 2022 and current fiscal 2023 budgets could be counted as the first to be balanced given that they include debt service. But it won't be until an auditor certifies the balance in connection with the corresponding annual audit financial statements that a budget will actually be certified or credited toward the the, the permissive four year requirement. So the timeline there looks like assuming two more balanced budgets through fiscal 2025 And, you know, the timely release of fiscal 2025 audited financials uh, is that the balance requirement could be met by summer of 2026.
2: So I know the last two budgets we had were certified using the oversight board's budgets and um, not the government's. And that would count towards the balanced budget requirement uh, that you just spoke of?
4: It could. Uh, Promessive language does not require the government's approval of a budget to be considered balanced.
2: Okay. And John, do you have anything um, to, that you want to add to that?
4: Sure, sure. Uh, well, the Commonwealth is um,
3: is aiming to change the requirements for the termination of the Oversight Board. Uh, Governor Luisi has advocated for an end to the Board's mandate. Once the PREPA and HTA restructurings are complete and the Commonwealth gets up to date on its audited financials, he um, supports the proposed Trust for Puerto Rico Act followed by U.S. Rep. Richie Torres of New York. Uh, this law, this bill would uh, change promessa's conditions for terminating the oversight board by eliminating a requirement that Puerto Rico cheese market access at reasonable rates and reducing the balanced budget requirement to two years from four years. The legislation is not expected to advance. Promessa was a tough law to enact, and there is little appetite in Congress to amend it. Some creditors see the Commonwealth's advocacy for an early termination of the oversight board as a credit negative because they view the continued presence of the oversight board as a backstop to ensure Commonwealth fiscal uh, discipline.
2: Are there any guardrails in place when the oversight board does make its exit?
3: There are some uh, guardrails in a Commonwealth debt management policy, which is embedded in the Commonwealth plan of adjustment. This limits uh, long-term borrowing to capital works, caps maturities at 30 years and bans the practice of scoop and toss. Uh, There's also a debt limit set at about 8% of the prior year's revenue, which leaves the Commonwealth little limited leeway to access capital markets, according to uh, AFAF director Omar Marrero. Um, Puerto Rico's constitution though, does have a debt ceiling that the Commonwealth was able to work around as it built up its seventy billion dollar debt load, and local political leaders continued to push proposals and policies that that kind of uh, lack fiscal responsibility. Commonwealth officials' pursuit of independence from the oversight board appears mostly driven by discretionary spending priorities, especially the flexibility to develop tax and economic development policy. But the Commonwealth's drive to end the oversight board mandate is being undertaken as billions of um, federal reconstruction dollars are pouring into Puerto Rico. Uh, this is putting off the need to pursue bond financing. Once the federal aid begins to taper off, the Commonwealth will need to tap the municipal bond market once again, and having the oversight board around at such a time could be uh, quite beneficial. Uh, take, for example, this uh, just recently, the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, supported legislation enacted this month that extended uh, a state board's uh, fiscal oversight authority and its ability to issue bonds over Philadelphia uh, through 2047 it was ex- it was uh, slated to expire last year next year and um, you know the the, the mayor Jim Kenney's uh, administration believes this this entity, the Pennsylvania Intergovernmental Cooperation Authority has been very effective in ensuring responsible budgeting, and this in turn gives rating agencies, investors, increased um, confidence in the city's financing, and this 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 contributes to higher ratings and 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 reduced borrowing costs. Um, so let's see, maybe the the need to borrow once again will get the the Commonwealth to finally embrace the Oversight Board. Um, which is slated to file its sixth annual report to Congress and the White House on uh, by J- July thirty first.
2: Do you think there's less pushback in a city like Philadelphia to have a fiscal oversight board or have fiscal oversight um, versus Puerto Rico uh, being a territory and all the history that comes with that?
3: Yeah, there's a lot of that for sure. I mean, uh, Puerto Rico has a hundred year experience as a U.S. colony with legitimate grievances that residents have been. Treated as second-class U.S. citizens in a, you know, in a number of areas. Uh, so local criticism of La Junta, as the board is known here, just gets dragged into that whole larger issue. But at the end of the day, I think it's a it's a fiscal oversight question. I've uh, also been struck by Detroit Mayor Mike Dugan's willingness to do whatever is required to ensure the state of Michigan uh, never returns to active fiscal oversight of his city when the COVID. 19 pandemic hit, that meant firing 200 workers and slashing the working hours of about uh, 900 additional workers to just four hours a week, basically, so they could keep their health coverage. So I don't think politicians anywhere like being subjected to outside fiscal oversight, but yeah, the process in Puerto Rico is colored substantially by the island's political status as a territory.
2: But then at times, the Commonwealth has appeared to almost undercut its own efforts to regain independence from the Oversight Board. Um, let's discuss this a bit. Kevin, uh, what are your thoughts on that?
4: I think one area you see that is uh, the Puerto Rico legislature continues to pass and the governor continues to sign bills that the Oversight Board has, has already flagged as not compliant with PROMESA or the Certified Fiscal Plan. Uh, that includes the recent legislation to walk back a 2017 business-focused labor reform that John mentioned, and, and multiple measures that would undercut preface privatization and debt restructuring processes. You know, while the governor enacted the new worker-friendly labor law, he vetoed three PREP-related bills last week, including one that would set mandatory conditions on the restructuring of preface debt, including a 20 cent rate cap, haircuts of at least 75% for bondholders, and leaving PREP's pensions and collective bargaining agreements untouched.
3: Yeah, to pick up on uh, Kevin's point, oversight board member John Nixon said in June during, during an investor conference, actually, that the board blocked legislation this year that would have cost $87 million, and that additional legislation that would add $113 million in annual cost to the government was still pending. Uh, Nixon warned that unless Commonwealth officials learn to live within their means, Puerto Rico will wind up back in bankruptcy again within five years. Uh, As the Commonwealth Plan of Adjustment took effect earlier this year, Pierluisi announced a series of pay hikes to Commonwealth government employees, including $1,000 monthly pay hikes to teachers initially paid for with one time COVID-19 funds. Pierluisi has vowed to find additional Commonwealth funding to cover the pay hikes on a permanent basis and to boost pay for all central government workers through a broader reform of the government's job classification and pay scales. Prison guards, firefighters, and emergency medical technicians have also seen pay hikes. The governor also twice called on the oversight board to allow the Commonwealth to tap $200 million from an emergency reserve to subsidize prep of fuel costs in an effort to hold down electric rates. When that failed, Pierluisi moved to uh, raid Puerto Rico's workers disability program for the same purpose. The attempt to execute such a large subsidy To provide relief to consumers for a three-month period and the use of non-recurrent funds to cover pay hikes are examples of some of the bad behavior that led Puerto Rico into the bankruptcy in the first place according to critics.
4: Yeah I think you know sort of politicking could also have some impact on on, you know other initiatives including P3 you know the drive for public-private partnerships you know, a broad swath of lawmakers are, are targeting Luma's energy contract and, and uh, Luma Energy's contract and and how they're performing so far under the contract. And there's ongoing legislative probes and repeated demands for the contract to be nullified. That, that could have an, an impact on investor appetite for other island P3s and could be a, a complicating factor to a legacy generation deal along with PREPA's ongoing bankruptcy. Um, it bears noting, I think that, that you know, anti-Luma style marches, including one organized at the Capitol last week by PREPA's main union with, with lawmakers taking part. Stuff like that was not seen against PREPA during its long you know, decline in service and rising rates.
2: So how do you instill investor confidence when the basic structural issues are still firmly in place?
3: Yeah, I, I think uh, politicians want to win the trust of investors, and Pierre and Pierluisi has positioned himself as a pro-business moderate. But, you know, these populist proposals show the influence of Puerto Rico's political process, which seems endless, even though elections are only every four years. I mean, the governor has already announced he's seeking re-election in 2024. Anecdotal yeah. ana- evidence suggests that public clashes between Puerto Rico political leaders and the board have had political purposes while lawmakers have approved legislation knowing that the oversight board would strike it down. So a lot of the optics around the board and Commonwealth relationship is aimed at local voters, but, but that also erodes the confidence of well-informed investors.
2: All right, so Kevin, can you, can you give us some insight into uh, the overall economic health on the island? What's fueling growth and, and what's threatening stability there?
4: yeah well you know at the moment things are going pretty pretty well after a long decline Um, general fund revenues for the commonwealth uh, surpassed 11.4 billion through the first 11 months of uh, fiscal 2022 or through may um, which outpaced both fiscal plan projections and year ago collections by more than a billion dollars and collections are strong uh, nearly across the board you know additionally macroeconomic indicators are trending positive despite you know, well-known global headwinds. Um, the, the island labor department is reporting unemployment at a historic low of 6.1% in June, while uh, the labor, labor participation rate climbed to nearly 43%, which while you know significantly, significantly below the stateside average is improvement over levels that hovered under 40% for years. Um, the government's economic activity index remains in a sustained rebound dating back more than a year. And uh, you know, in, in quarterly earnings calls, the island's bankers point to, to gains in commercial consumer and auto lending and rising home prices. And uh, tourism has also been a bright spot despite the pandemic. Um, you know, the key driving factor behind a lot of this is, is Puerto Rico's, a lot of Puerto Rico's economic tailwinds is, is the flow of federal disaster recovery and pandemic relief funds into the island with billions more still to come. Uh, the commonwealth central office for recovery reconstruction and resiliency or the, the core 3 uh, pegs federal disaster recovery and pandemic relief funding assigned at, at nearly 80 billion since hurricane maria hit in september 2017 you know of that just over 67 billion has been obligated uh, but just a little over 24 billion has actually been dispersed, uh, according to core 3's online tracker um, a good example of that is the roughly $11 billion settlement with FEMA for post-hurricane permanent works at PREPA. Um, little of that has been deployed, though initial projects are starting to reach construction. But as you, know, as you look at a little bit further, uh, there is considerable uncertainty regarding the Commonwealth's longer-term economic prospects, especially given the lack of progress on key structural reforms. Um, the, the fiscal plan sees a return to deficit spending in fiscal 2049. It states that the government will have to take additional measures to comply with constitutional requirements to operate within a framework of fiscal balance. Um, While the fiscal plan estimates $14.4 billion government surplus will be generated through fiscal 2048, it does identify risks to that including delays in structural reforms, uncertainty regarding the economic recovery from the pandemic and continued population decline. Great. Um,
2: I have just one more question. Um, John, I was wondering if you could uh, speak a little bit about the contingent value instruments um, and how they've been performing and uh, whether they'll be providing payout to creditors. Um, The contingent value instruments, by that, I mean those that were issued in conjunction with the Commonwealth plan of, of adjustment.
3: Yeah, uh, the CBIs have already surpassed annual performance metrics tied to both the 5.5% portion of the sales and use tax and the RUM excise tax for fiscal uh, 2022. Uh, for fiscal 2022, I think the 5.5% target was $1.283 billion, And through April, the tax has outperformed this metric by about 256.5 million while the fiscal 2022 RUM tax outperformance metric for was um, 208.6 million. And through May the tax has outperformed this metric by 222.5 million. Um, The oversight board has championed the development of the CVI as a way to agree to disagree with creditors regarding future economic and fiscal projections since creditors would only be paid if the CPIs outperform these targets. Um, they said it was really instrumental in, in kind of uh, getting a final uh, commonwealth deal done. Uh, but that the CBIs are widely expected to continue to meet or surpass outperformance targets that will provide creditors with additional payments. In coming years. As uh, Kevin just explained, while the Commonwealth faces uh, long term economic challenges, the forecast returned to Commonwealth uh, government deficit spending is not expected to occur until 2049. Um, while the GO CBIs are slated to mature in 2043 and the clawback CBIs in 2051. Both instruments face lifetime caps of 3.5 billion, 5.2 billion respectively. And they could complete the totality of the payments to creditors over the next 10 years or so. Further, the SUT tax has proven to be really extremely resilient since its enactment in 2006. Um, It's growing consistently even during economic downturns and it's beat expectations on a consistent basis. I think that's one of the reasons Coffino bonds were so attractive Um, uh, so that the the SUT tax provides a a solid base for the CVIs to meet these outperformance targets. Um, You know, this is a new development in U.S. municipal finance, but oversight board and Commonwealth advisors expect the instrument to be uh, used in subsequent um, municipal debt workouts. So it's it's being seen as pretty positive.
2: It seems that way. Um, Great, thanks. Um, Well, that concludes our webinar. And um, we can now switch over to the Q&A section. Um, We have a couple questions in line. So um, let's start off with um, one question that looks like it's for Kevin. Kevin, what was the governor's explanation for his recent veto of the PREPA bills?
4: Okay, so he explained them in in, in letters to legislative leaders. Um, regarding the privatization-related measures, he, he said the proposals ran counter to the island's uh, energy public policy, which includes disaggregating the PREPA monopoly and privatizing its operations, uh, which he voiced a, a commitment to completing. On the debt restructuring bill, the governor called its provisions toxic given the ongoing mediation process and deemed it impossible to implement given that promessa is the the governing restructuring law. Thank you. Um, And
2: one for John. Um, does, does Puerto Rico have any immediate plans to return to the bond market to refinance any outstanding bonds?
3: Well, well in June, uh, AFAF disclosed that Cofina has uh, hired a syndicate or appointed a syndicate of investment banking firms to evaluate a potential refinancing transaction for all or a portion of Cofina's outstanding restructured sales tax bonds. Uh, That syndicate is led by JP Morgan and includes BOA, Barclays, and Morgan Stanley. But a number of sources have indicated that current market conditions are not conducive to a deal and that the selection was made to have a syndicate in place should market conditions change. Uh, The deal being discussed would be similar to process bond exchange because uh, Cofino bonds are not yet, yet callable. Um, During an investor conference in San Juan in June, several municipal bond investment bankers, including representatives of the syndicate members, argued that uh, COFINA deserved an investment grade rating. Um, But, you know, that's not really, I think, uh, pushing the refinancing transaction as much as market conditions. Uh, Rating agencies are, are currently not likely to take rating action on COFINA until they Take action on Puerto Rico geo bonds, according to um, you know sources, Reorg sources, and you know market conditions will ultimately determine whether that deal goes forward.
1: Thank you.
2: And um, looks like we have time for one more. Um, Kevin, can you expand on PRMESA not requiring legislative approval for balanced budgets? Yeah,
4: sure. Um, The Oversight Board had certified its own versions of the budget in every year since its inception until fiscal 2022, which was the first certified as approved by the legislature and the governor. However, the, the legislature failed to deliver on two subsequent amendments to the fiscal 2022 budget first to incorporate payments contemplated in the commonwealth plan and the second to increase the size of a commonwealth loan to, to the hda to make a one-time payment to certain creditors under the hda plan both of those were unilaterally adopted by the board and so you know the government and the oversight board worked together again to jointly on on the current fiscal 2023 budget but the oversight board ultimately certified its own version due to delays in the legislature and i just think the key there in both the 2022 and 2023 budgets are that the first that they're the first that could be credited as balanced under Provesa because they're the first to cover resumed uh, Commonwealth debt service. Um,
2: thank you, and we have um, a question for John. Uh, did did PRASA get their FEMA um, money yet for CapEx, and is Sorry, I'm reading that terribly. Um, for capex and when is their new bond deal? Uh,
3: well, I was referring to um, I was referring to to process uh previous bond, uh, bond deal um, you know, last year where they where they refinanced most of their uh restructuring bonds and yes uh. FEMA money is starting to flow in to PRASA, as well as PREPA, Um, you know, and this is really important. It's for permanent works and it's going to uh, really, um, you know, it's gonna be a a big impact um, on the island's economy and it'll also, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, projects being done are really necessary to improving uh, service and, um, yeah, that that we've been needing these projects for quite a while, so it's so it's super, super important that, that the money's finally getting here for the permanent works.
4: I think PROSS is in line for well over three billion from FEMA related to uh, hurricane recovery. Yep.
3: yep. Yeah, it's a historic, right? Both 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 I think yep. uh the pros and Prepa uh
4: FEMA. Settlements are, are are quite quite large.
2: All right. Great, um, well, it looks like that um, that's all it, the questions that we have time for today. Um, as a reminder, Reorg um, is a global uh, provider of credit intelligence, data, and analytics for law firms, investors, and advisors. If you are already a Reorg subscriber, please send any further questions you have on this or other topics to success at reorg.com. Remember a replay will be available on the webinars and podcast page um, within two business days. And um, a big thanks to everyone who joined us today as well as our panelists, John and Kevin. Thank you and have a good day.
0: Thank you again for listening to this Rear Weekly Review. You can find all our podcasts on the Rear.com webinars and podcast page, as well as Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Amazon. Hope your families are healthy and safe. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next Friday.